I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite books of the Bible and possibly my favorite chapter in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I want to read the verse that has been kind of the, uh, the anchor, the foundation for what we've been talking about. We have been in a series, uh, which is funny, I've seen a lot of my friends who are preaching sermons or series around this topic as well, which is, is, is not surprising, but it's funny how the Lord kind of begins to tie things together. Um, Hebrews 6, we've been talking about this hope, not that hope. Not that hope that culture tries to give us, not that hope which is circumstantial and based upon whether or not the wind and the waves have died down, but this hope, this hope that is anchored beneath the wind and the waves, this hope which is eternal, this hope which is based upon the character and the return of Jesus, not based upon how well we're doing in life. This hope, not wishful thinking, this hope. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure, trustworthy, never failing. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. In other words, it enters into the presence of God. It will not be shaken because it goes with Jesus into the very presence of God. We have this hope. I want to talk to you today about this hope we have. Yeah, I flipped it around just a little bit. This hope we have. One of the things that struck me about this verse when I first opened it up and we first established this as kind of the core verse for the last several weeks, and I, I've been waiting to preach this topic, or at least in this direction, for the last several weeks. But one of the things that struck me about this verse is in verse 19, it says, we. Everybody say, we. We. Now, I don't know if you know this. I'm pretty sure most of you do, but just to make sure you understand that when we say we, it doesn't just mean me. How many of you already read that verse today? As I read it, you read it as I and me, not necessarily we. We have this hope for what? Our lives, our soul. It's amazing to me how much, and I know that part of this is Western culture and the history of our nation in many ways it's, it's, it's incredibly individualistic. It's incredibly uh, 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 hyper-individualistic. It's so much about what I can do. It's why so many times we reject community because we go, well, I can't do this on my own. Now, in many ways, some of that has built this nation. So much of that kind of, I can do this, I can make this happen, I can go for it, I can take risks. So much of that has built this nation. But the reality of it is, no matter how much you try to say I or me, you find out, even in the course of history, that it never happens by yourself. There are always people around that make great things happen. And the gospel is written in the same way. The gospel is written to a group of people, not just a person. Now, of course, it has personal implications. Of course, it has implications for just your life. But those implications are corporate. The, the personal implications of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all those are corporate in nature. I always make this joke that the fruit of the Spirit aren't necessary unless you're in relationship with people. It's, like, it's a weird thing to go, I've got the fruit of the Spirit, and then people don't like you very much. I've got the fruit of the Spirit, and then people can't stand having you around. Because the fruit of the Spirit is all outward, this love that I carry, this joy that abounds, this hope that, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. The characteristics of what God is trying to develop in you through the Holy Spirit are meant to be things that affect how you do life and who you do life with. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but the verse that, I, that we just read would sound very different if it said, I have this hope as an anchor for my soul. I hope you figure out what you've got for yours. This isn't written just to one person. It's written to a group of people. In fact, most of the letters Paul pins are written to groups of people. It's written to an a, 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 a large group of people, not just a person. Again, I know he's speaking to the one, but he's speaking to the many. And, and we have this hope so that we will carry this hope together. We have this hope. It's a corporate thing. And we're going to talk in just a moment about how the fact that, that, that when we aren't doing well relationally, how hope seems to dry up and hope seems to disappear when relationships are in turmoil or difficulty or challenge. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I, I wanted to read this incredible quote about anchors because um, uh, it gives a great idea about and a great picture of the corporate nature of our hope. This is from June Hunt. For centuries, anchors have been a symbol of hope. This emblem was especially significant to the early persecuted church. Many etchings of anchors were discovered in the catacombs of Rome, where Christians held their meetings in hiding. Threatened with the death because of their faith, these committed Christians used the anchor as a disguised cross and as a marker to guide the way to their secret meetings. Located beneath the ancient city, 600 miles of these tomb-like burial chambers served as a place of refuge during perilous times of persecution. Thus, the anchor, found even on some tombstones today, has become a symbol of guaranteed hope for the eternal security of true Christians. So even in ancient times, the anchor that Paul, that, that Paul uses imagery of so well in Hebrews, that, 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 that this anchor was actually pointing them to what? Community. That if you would keep following this hope, you would find a group of people that would confirm and establish and multiply your hope. That when you found them, you would have a security in the hope that you have that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And I wonder if, if the church as a gathered people is a symbol of hope for others. Are people seeing us and finding hope? Are we a signpost to others that even in their darkest moments, even in perilous times, even when you're climbing down what feels like underneath the, the, everybody else is living and everybody else is doing their thing and we're in the dark just climbing through these tunnels, that, that, that there is hope around other people? See, I want us to be a church that when you walk in on a Sunday morning, you walk into a dinner party on a Wednesday night, there is a hope, a confident expectation of the future that's found in community. That's the goal. That's the desire. That's the hope of Jesus. Ephesians 2, which I had you turn to, we'll read now, uh, starting in verse 11. Again, this is one of my favorite sections of Scripture, and, and really the whole book. Um, I think the word unity is, is so underpreached um, and, and in many ways so underlived by many of us because, uh, because Paul talks so much about believers coming together. He ends almost every letter with a challenge for us to walk humbly or to love each other well or to serve one another or to not think too highly of yourself or what he, he does everything he can. If we would just live all the one another's in the Bible, we would be in great shape. If we would love one another fully, then we would be in such good shape. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. So then, remember 
that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised. That's what religious people do. They label you and categorize you as something, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. We read that last week. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For he is our peace who made both groups, do you hear that? Groups, not just one, not just one person, both groups, one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his, in his flesh. He made of no effect the law, consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. Everybody say hostility. Put the hostility to death by it. When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit. We both have access by one spirit. Sorry, y'all. We're all going through the same door. All right? Even if you don't like me, we're going the same direction. All right? And now I've lost my place. So then you are no longer... We're going to go with verse 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Notice how this is very much not an individualistic message. This is not me trying to tell just you that you are now your own family by yourself, but that you have actually been brought close and brought into citizenship, been brought into a household with other people, whether or not you've ever liked them in the past. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, the whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. You also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Man, I love that. I I just did your Bible reading for the day. You're in good shape unless you want to be an overachiever. I love this section of scripture because it is it, it, it really frames what Jesus is trying to do. Now, just to just as, as a way of um, setting context here, what Paul is trying to do, and because you heard this kind of near and far, those of you who are far and those of you who are near, and, and you kind of heard this kind of bringing together, and you heard the word Gentiles and Jews, and, 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 and the idea here is that for Paul, when Jesus came, died, and rose again, when he met Jesus, all of a sudden everything opened up for everybody. So no longer was it just the Jews who could have access to the Father. Now it was anyone else, and anyone else they labeled as Gentiles. And and I think this probably explains uh, the the, the arguments that come out of Ephesians 1, which we won't get into now, but but there are some things here that happen. And and what Paul is trying to get across is that this group who was far away, these Gentiles who did not have citizenship in heaven, are now being brought near and being brought close and into relationship with the Jews. Now, there happened to have been a long history of the Jews, as you read in verse 11, calling the Gentiles names and giving them labels or categories. You don't get to exist here because of this or because of this, because of that, and, because, and, and giving them all sorts of barriers and in some ways creating what you might call hostility. Have you ever experienced some hostility in your life? Have you, no? 
Hold that. I just might as well. Let me pray and shut it down. Lord, I think. I don't know if anyone's ever been hostile towards you. I don't know if you've ever suggested an idea at work and someone at the other end of the table just seems to have it in for you. I don't know if you've ever dealt with it in relationship. I don't know if you've ever had friends who seem to be a little hostile because you picked the wrong restaurant and the wait was too long. I don't know. And, and I don't know what kind of, obviously this this uh, depth of hostility was a little different. They had for centuries been talking about one another and saying certain things about one another and saying, you don't get to be here and you don't get to live here and you don't get to do life here and you don't get access like I get access. And, and that's when you, you begin to realize you've lost the message of the gospel when you begin to tell other people that they don't get to have what you have, right? And so there's a little bit of hostility. Now, all of a sudden, people were being welcomed in that had never been welcomed in. And not just not welcomed in, but been, had completely been shut out. And intentionally, on purpose. And so now they're in the same room together. Now they're living in the same house under the same roof. Have you ever lived with somebody? Have you ever gotten a roommate that you thought you were friends with until you lived with them? That happened to me my freshman year in college. And I'm pretty sure. It was my fault. But we've all forgiven each other. And, uh, and we were kind of friends before. We were kind of totally not friends after. Right? And, and, we, you just, and maybe some of you got married and you became roommates. And you felt a little bit of hostility. Because all of a sudden you were using part of the bed that you were not using before. And now you were drinking all the milk. And now you are wasting all the coffee. Or now you are whatever the case might be. And we get into these places where hostility or, or opposition begins to get in the way. Have you, I don't know if you've ever done this. And now, for some of you who don't have kids and this, is, this doesn't apply, but you know this feeling because... Uh, I've seen the Snickers commercials, and I've, I've seen that friends can also be a little bit difficult to deal with on road trips. Uh, but when I get in the car with kids, and we're on our way on a road trip somewhere. We got two little boys. We got a five-year-old five and a now three-year-old. And on the way to a road trip, about ten minutes in, I have possibly decided I don't want to go anymore. Because there is some hostility in the room. right? There is some, some hostility in the space that I am occupying. And my, what I'd rather do, rather than power through and figure it out, I'd rather get out of the car and walk whatever it takes to get back, right? And, and, and we kind of have become a culture of that. We have become a culture of if it feels wrong, if it feels bad, I'm ejecting, I'm out, I'm going to escape into my phone or escape into some other place that doesn't put the pressure on me, even though the Bible gives us pretty clear uh, idea that, that, that pressure is actually what creates character. Enduring through the trials is actually what creates character, and character creates and results in hope. And then the, Paul says this hope does not disappoint us because it's been shaped by something deeper than what you've been shaped by before. And we, we know this because we know we don't get stronger without lifting weight. And we know this because we don't, we don't lose weight without eating right. Or we don't get better at work without putting in the work. We, we understand that pressure develops things in us. We just don't like it. And if there is any way to get out of it, we will. We will, we will eject quickly from relationship if it gets just a little bit strained or difficult. And it's really hard to read verses like Paul that Paul writes when he says, make every effort to dwell in unity of the Spirit. Why would you write something like that? 
It's just mean, right? That's something hard to live up to, to make every effort, like every single, kind of like what Shane was just talking about, not like a 98% effort, but like in every effort, all the options on the table. And Jesus here is, 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 is we, Paul talks about Jesus putting to death hostility. And here's why I'm bringing all this up. Here's why I'm kind of talking about unity and hostility and, and why I'm doing it in the context of hope. And, and, and here's why. And here's why I just talked about the road trip that I want to bail out of whenever my kids are in the backseat and the DVD player is not working. Right? It's because for me, and I believe this is true in Scripture, and I think it's just true in life, that my hopefulness can be and often is limited by the amount of hostility I'm experiencing in life. So my future expectation oftentimes is, is limited or hindered by my current living. And so there is hostility in my life. And so, so when I'm driving down the road, on the way to somewhere amazing, we could be driving to California or Colorado or anywhere beyond Oklahoma and be like, wow, this is amazing. And and I uh, sorry. And uh, and and I we could do that. And, and it doesn't matter where we're going, how amazing it could be, how incredible it is, how amazing the promises of God are, how amazing the guarantee of heaven is, how amazing it is that heaven will invade earth and heaven will show up on earth and Jesus will make all things new. It's an amazing promise, it's an incredible thing, and yet it can be completely sabotaged by the hostility I'm experiencing in the moment. That the things that I'm not either not willing to deal with, and this is the problem with sin. Sometimes it's not your sin that's causing you problems. Sometimes it is other people doing something they should not be doing that's causing you some of the frustration you're living with. And that's, I know, it's not fair, but that's what's so good about grace. Grace doesn't deal in fair or unfair. Grace is unmerited. Grace is given regardless. Where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. Come on. And, 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 and I, Jesus is putting to death, before he can bring us into a household, before he can bring us into a home, before he can make us a citizenry, before he can really bring this thing together and begin to push this thing down the track and begin to put this confident expectation in his people, before that can really begin to happen at the level he wants it to happen, he has to deal with the hostility in the room. For him to really allow hope to abound in our lives, he has to remove the hostility, not just between me and him because of sin, but because between you and me because of sin. That, that I found that we have to be willing to deal with the hostility. What I love about Ephesians 2 and what I love that Paul's saying here is that Jesus and that God the Father did not, did not avoid the hostility. They didn't run from it. They didn't try to escape from it. They didn't try to somehow forget it was there. They didn't try to tuck it away in a corner somewhere and hope that no one ever noticed it. They took it head on and said, I'm going to send Jesus to bring this group who was always far away and this group who always seemed like they were near. They labeled each other and categorized one another and said, well, you can't and you won't and you shouldn't and, you, and bring them together because they have one place of access and that is the Holy Spirit. So I, I, I'm telling you right now, for some of us in the room, our lack of hope has less to do with our future and has much more to do with 
the hostility in our present. The, 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 the pains and the bitterness and the anger and the frustration and the things that we feel towards other people and, and, and the inability to do life well with people. And, 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 and in that hostility, in that kind of pressurized thing, it's hard for us to look up when we're always dealing with what's going on right now. And for some of us, we may not feel it. Maybe some of us are the people who have gone, well, I'm good with it. I'm fine. I'm just going to tuck it away. I'm just going to put it away. I'm just going just, just to hide it. That's, that's not really the nature of Jesus. Jesus, that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is not a book of perfect people. It's a book of imperfect people with a perfect God willing to use whatever is put in front of him to see his plan come to pass. And so when I look at each other, when I, see, we, we in, 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 in this culture, and even, and I say this as part of church as well, I don't always blame culture, that's not really what we're trying to do here, but, but even in the church, oftentimes we will try to escape community because it's putting pressure on particular things that probably need to be worked out of our life. See, I, you know, Pastor Scott's here, and, and uh, just a few weeks ago we prayed for healing in his knee that he hadn't been able to use at, at full bore for, I don't know, four or five years. Um, we'll just call it a uh, surfing accident. Um, and uh, that sounds better, right? And, um, and, uh, and, and over the last four or five weeks, uh, you know, even though the other day we were hanging out, we had coffee, and he goes, man, I can't even believe it. I just did this 40-minute workout, and uh, you look good, by the way. This 40-minute workout, and... Um, <laughs> And I haven't, been, I haven't been hurting at all. And, and, and here's, here's why I bring that up. Because for many of us, we don't re-engage with things because they caused us pain in the past. But the only way that you know you are beyond the pain is to re-engage what used to cause you pain. The only way Scott knows his knee is actually better is because he started to do the things that used to cause it pain. Have you ever, have you ever rejected people because they rejected you? And said, I'm done with people. All people are terrible. Have you ever rejected guys because you had a guy reject you? Have you ever rejected ladies because you had a lady reject you? Have you ever rejected your spouse because they rejected you at one point? Have you ever rejected something because at one point they rejected you? Let me just put it a different way, and this may sound really funny. Have you ever had a bad cheeseburger? Anybody? Yeah. Some of you are like thinking about it. Did I? I don't know if I liked the one yesterday. Even after having a bad one, did you go back and try another one? I remember the first time I went to Uno's, just downtown in Fort Worth. The first time I went to Uno's, on the drive home, we had to stop because I was sick. And I was sick on the highway. And the second time we went, this is just me, maybe I'm just ignorant. But the second time we went, I got sick again. But now I'm telling you, it's some of my favorite pizza in it. Now, you don't have to like it. I'm fine with that. Have you ever had a bad, uh, a bad pizza? Maybe you've had bad pizza. Have you ever tried it again? Maybe not from the same place. But it's weird. For me, we can have all these bad things. Maybe you've seen a bad movie. Have you ever seen a bad movie? And then you went back to the movie theater and saw another movie? That's crazy. What are you thinking? Isn't it possible that because that one was bad, all of them are bad? But with, with us, with people, we tend to look at one person that did us wrong or one group of people that did us wrong, and we go, well, I'm not going back to that. I'm not doing that anymore. But what I've found, I mean, I'm telling you, we aren't truly healed until we can go back into the place that causes pain and not feel the pressure anymore. 
Now, I'm not saying you need to subject yourself to that all the time. I'm just simply saying you can say you're over it until you're in it again, and then you realize you are still under it. And the hostility Jesus paid for was not an avoidance and not a, well, we're going to keep the near guys near, and we're going to keep the far guys far, but we love you both equally. No, no, no. You all are going to be one new man. You are going to come so close that people won't even be able to distinguish you. You are going to be one group of people. Accessed by the same Holy Spirit. See, I think for many of us, the hope, the confident expectation of the future that Jesus wants for the earth is so wrapped up in our ability and willingness to forgive, love, and move forward. I, I, I found that we, if we, have, if we are overcome with hostility, we will see our hopefulness begin to shrink. If, there are, if there's enmity between, enmity between relationships, if there's people that we can't stand, if there's people that we just can't help but say things about, I, I find that usually in those places, hope begins to be a rare thing. And what we do, instead of engaging it and fixing it, we actually escape it and end up with the people who think the same way. Jimmy Evans talks about the idea that, um, uh, that groups tend to run with groups. Right, Cowboys fans, Roman, but that's what I love about the church. The church isn't a bunch of the same people. The church is a bunch of different people. I mean, if you just look around the room, like I'm looking around the room, you realize we don't all come from the same place and we haven't all lived the same lives. And yet, the beauty of the church is that God brings them together. And that is what gives me hope that on the earth, even in small glimpses, we can see heaven. Even in small glimpses, we can see God working together and bringing people who were far near and different and and bringing them together and making them one people. That gives me hope in a culture that seems to have less of it by the day. Why? Because there is so much hostility. And so for us, I, I remember this story. Uh, I said this in the first service. I hadn't planned on sharing this, but I remember uh, years ago when uh, my family went through a really challenging season. And my grandfather had passed away, and he had uh, headed up a ministry that had, had gone around the world. And so there were hundreds of uh, people who, who, who loved him and, 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 and hundreds of men. It was a men's ministry, and hundreds of them um, who would have called uh, my grandfather their father. They would have been spiritual sons in many ways. And, uh, and it just got this weird place where all the sons were kind of competing to be now the father, right? It was just a, it was just a weird thing. And it happens. And, 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 and there was a lot of hostility. And I remember one of the things that kept me hopeful was the way I watched my parents deal with that. My dad never reciprocated the hostility. My dad, I don't remember a single negative word that my dad spoke about anyone who was in the situation. And that allowed hope to flourish in me, that the body of Christ and the church could move through tension and move through difficulty and it allowed me one time I remember I was leaving the office for the last time and uh, I had been let go uh, from my grandfather's ministry it's, it was a weird season and uh, and I remember walking out of the lobby that that we had built and I remember walking out and uh, uh, this guy and it, I remember him saying something I don't remember what was said I just remember he said something and I said something right and by saying something I mean impolite things 
inappropriate things. And we just, it, it, you know, and we said, and then I drove off and I had to go run an errand and it just so happened, I don't know how God does these things, but it just so happened that I had to drive back by the same place that I had just left and said something to this guy. And, uh, and I was hoping that God would speak to me after I hit the exit so that I could just deal with the conviction and not have to act upon it. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and I remember just like all of a sudden driving and the Holy Spirit goes, you, you need to go back in there. And, uh, and I was like, well, that's, that's terrible advice. And so, um, so I went ahead and I exited and uh, I drove around. And the whole time I'm feeling a little bit strange because sometimes obedience doesn't feel right. Uh, you know, Talisha talked about it. Sometimes being comfortable is not the best place to be. Comfortable means I can't react quick enough sometimes. You know, I get in those lazy boys, and I lay down, and I'm really good to go. And then my son does something he shouldn't do, and I have to debate whether or not I should go deal with it because I'm so comfortable, right? And so I, I, I pull into the parking lot. I walk in, and sure enough, the guy's still staying. I was hoping I'd walk in, and he wouldn't be there anymore. And I walk in, and I see him, and I, okay, I guess I got it. So I walk up to him, and I say, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. I shouldn't have done that. And, um, and, uh, and I remember him just staring at me like like literally just staring. He doesn't say anything, doesn't say I forgive you, doesn't say I was wrong too, which I, he should have. And uh, obviously I'm free of it. And, um, and I, I just, I said, hey, I'm sorry. And he didn't say anything. And I turned around and I walked out of the building. But can I tell you something? The drive home was different. And the drive home had more hope to it. Because had I not done that, I would have still been dealing with hostility. I would have been dealing with what had happened in my past, not what was possible in my future. I would have still been dealing with why I was mad and how valid it was that I was mad and how it was allowed for me to be angry and ticked off and he's a jerk and he's a terrible person and instead what I'm dealing with is that's done, I'm on to the next thing. See, some of us, our hope, our confident expectation of the future is being hindered by the things that happened in our past and even some things that are currently happening in our present where hostility or enmity or, or opposition still exists. And so I, I know this is a little bit challenging because for many of us, repentance, we talked about this last week, repentance is not about beating you up for your past. It is about setting you up for your future. It is like the Hebrew writers would have said the word repentance means to bring you home, to put you back in the place that you're supposed to be. Home would have been Eden. So I want to get you back to the way it was originally intended to be, the same kind of idea with the Greeks' word for repentance, which has been, been Change the way you think. Bring your thinking back into alignment. And so what I would tell you, that forgiveness, kind of the flip side of that same coin, is to forgive. And if we don't know the value of repentance, we probably also don't know the value and the power of forgiveness. If we don't ever understand that we have things to submit to God and to give to God and say, God, you must deal with this because I can't deal with this, then we probably don't understand the value of letting someone else off the hook of loving somebody fully, of forgiving them completely. Because I believe forgiveness is not simply forgetting what was done, but blessing what will come. If you and I cannot bless people because they've wronged us, then we probably haven't fully forgiven them. It doesn't mean you need to be their best friend again. I, don't, I haven't seen that guy in forever. But I'm just telling you that if I were to see him, I, I could walk up to him, shake his hand, and say, I hope you've been good. I hope you're all right. I hope God's blessed you. I hope God's still working in your life. I hope God's future for you is just as bright as it was the day you said that thing that wasn't nice. 
I hope that I can be that kind of a person because I want hope to pervade my life. I want people who are walking through dark tunnels to see the anchor, to see my life and go, oh, there's a community of people that don't let the wind and the waves determine how we're going to live, but I'm going to get rid of hostility. I'm going to get rid of bitterness. I'm going to get rid of offense and hurt and frustration and believe the future is brighter and better than it was in the past. And I believe that God is shaping me and making me through the tension I'm going to endure. And in the endurance, character is going to be built. And because of the character that is built, I'm going to have hope produced in my life. For some of us, we have hostility. And it's, it's shown by the things we say, the things we do, the, the places we avoid. And God's saying to you, listen, if you want a fullness of hope, fully release hostility. Fully release the enmity. Fully release the hurt and the pain towards others. Fully release the frustration. I want to pray to close out this morning. Romans 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with peace and joy so that you might overflow with hope. That you might overflow with hope. I love the word overflow. Overflow um, doesn't mean just simply to contain. It means to go beyond what you can contain, which means it shouldn't just affect what's in the cup in your life. It should affect everything that's outside the cup, which is your friends and your family and your coworkers and your neighbors, anyone who lives on your street, anyone that you come into contact with, the guy that you get groceries from, the person you buy coffee from. There should be an overflowing of confident expectation. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you. I thank you that.